today I'm going to talk about something that is called taking extraordinary steps. Taking extraordinary steps. I was at a conference last year, and it was, a, it was a business conference, and he said something that struck out to me. He said this, extraordinary results require extraordinary steps. Let me say it, say it again. Extraordinary results require extraordinary steps. The fact is, most of us want to be able to have a life that seems like it's got success. We're all reaching for that. We're all desiring that to some degree. If you're a Christian, then you probably believe I'm trying to become everything that God has called me or made me or designed me to be. But we often measure that by success and what positions we can get, what things we can gather, what we can look like, what we can smell like, what we can sound like, and we create this level of success for ourselves. But I believe that inside of ourselves, we're actually reaching for something greater than that, and I believe it's called significance. We even use the word significant now to try and describe the person that we're with. We don't call them our husband, our wife, our girlfriend, our fiance. We call them our significant other, right? Because we're, we're trying to have something that is significant. We desire something that is significant. I believe we desire to get to a place where we're having extraordinary results in our life. But to get to a place of extraordinariness, I just made a word up, okay, to get to a place of extraordinariness, often you have to change direction in your life. And that usually means that you have to take a different step, a different step that maybe goes in a different direction, and a step that is maybe not a step that you're comfortable with or you've ever done before, but it is an extraordinary step for you. And today I want to read a story from, from, uh, from the Word about a woman who took extraordinary steps that not only changed her life, but is making us read about her today. And we're gonna be reading from the book of Luke in chapter seven, verses 36 to 50. If you've got your Bibles, you can read along with me, or it's up here on the screen, and it says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, let me just stop there for a second. What is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is like a cross between a pastor and a politician. How scary is that, right? A pastor and a politician getting together. Sounds like the beginning of a joke or something, right? But Jesus had a lot of conflict with these guys, always button heads with these guys because they were the people who told everyone else what to do and he just didn't like the way they were doing it. He disagreed with it. He said, you're trying to tell people to live by a certain set of rules, but I'm here to give life is what he said. So it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, he probably thought that That'd be a fun idea. Let me see what trouble I can get into this week. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, it doesn't say what a sinful life was. It just puts a label on her right there. She lived a sinful life. When she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. It's basically just a, a specially made jar of perfume. And usually, it were very big jars, very expensive jars. She came with an expensive alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. How many of you have ever had that happen to you lately? Anyone? Anyone here ever gone to Chick-fil-A or something, just sitting there and suddenly this woman comes over and goes, <laughs> just starts crying over your feet and you're like, what are you doing, right? Chick-fil-A, the official food of Christians everywhere, right? And you just go there and you suddenly get, get someone cries on your feet and then they put, just put a little ointment on your feet, right? 
none of us have that experience. None of us usually goes through this. Why was he going through this? What a peculiar thing. We'll find out in a second. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Second time they put a label on her. Jesus answered, Simon, hey, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 bucks and the other 50 bucks. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, duh. You have judged correctly, grasshopper, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. This woman did something that totally got the attention of Jesus. When I'm reading this story, I see certain things, certain steps that she took that were extraordinary step. And here's the first step here she took. Mary Magdalene took the extraordinary step to push past what others thought of her. Now, I don't know what you're like, but the fact is, every one of us care what other people think about us. I love it when people say, I don't, I don't care what someone thinks about me. The fact that you have to say it usually means you care what they think about you. We all care what people think about us. But the fact is, I believe what it does is it makes us stop taking risks in life. We stop taking those risks because we're scared of what people will, take, what will think of us. If I, take this, if I take this risk and I do this thing that might look odd and it might be out of the ordinary, what will my family say about me? What will my friends say about me? And we're scared to take risks in life because we're concerned that maybe if we fail, people will say we're a loser. People will look at us and call us a failure. They will think differently of us because we didn't succeed in the thing that we wanted to achieve. We didn't succeed in the extraordinary step. But the problem I find is this, is that if failure and, and, the pro, and, 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 and comfort, if that becomes a stumbling block to us and we care what people think about us, how do you stop being affected about, being caring, about, about caring what other people think about you? When I was a kid, my, uh, uh, when I was at school, my, uh, uh, I, had, I had had this problem where it seemed like my ears grew faster than the rest of my body. You know, I had adult ears, but I had a tiny pinhead. And so uh, people used to call me Big Ears Brunton, right? And I wasn't as gorgeous like this all the time, right? I was not the prettiest child, right? But another thing they used to call me as well was Chinky Eyes Pete, or Chinky Pete is what they used to call me. Because I have these heavy eyelids on my eyes, you know? Anyone with me on that one? You have these little beady eyes, and you're all looking at me now and going, oh yeah, I can see it. Two years ago, I was literally in a Chinese restaurant here, just around the corner from the church, and the, this Asian woman, the, the older Asian lady comes, she goes, oh, I can see you have Asian in you, and I'm like, no! It's like my childhood was coming back to haunt me, and I'm like, I'm not, and she goes, yeah, you, you do, you have Asian look inside of you, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm all Scottish, but whatever. It was coming back to haunt me. 
And when I was a kid, when I was affected by this, I remember something my older brother said to me. He said, you know what you should do? Just admit it. And I'm like, what? He said, stop fighting it. Stop defending it. Stop trying to argue what you're not. Just go, and when they call you Big Ears Pete, just go, look at these Dumbo bad boys right here, right? He said, you'll take the power out of it. If you choose to move past it, if you choose to try and ignore it and decide not to defend it and try to control it, because here's the thing. Here's the thing that I've learned. No one gets close to Christ without admitting who they are. No one gets anywhere close to God without allowing yourself to be having to admit who you are because that's the only way you can come to Christ. The great prophet, Dr. Phil, said this. You can't change what you don't acknowledge. Can't change it. You can't change what you don't acknowledge. You have to admit where you are at. Here's the second thing that I saw that Mary Magdalene did. Mary Magdalene took the extraordinary step to give up something big. She took the extraordinary step to give up something big. What was it that she gave up? Well, if you remember that she took this alabaster box of perfume or ointment or whatever it's called, and it's actually, the story is actually talked about in four different gospels, and in one of them it says it was worth a year's salary. Now think about that. Could you take a year's salary and just give it away to someone else? Can I suggest you might wanna give it to me? No, I'm kidding. Um, Can you imagine giving away a year's worth of salary? That is mind-boggling. But why do we have such a hard time trying to give up things that that are so valuable to us? I'll tell you why. Because we've worked hard for it. Sometimes it's like when God tells you to do something, it's like, whoa, 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 God, hold up a second. You know how much I've worked for this? I've waited 20 years to have this thing. I've worked hard 20 years, the cars, the houses, the reputation, the job, the lifestyle that I have. I can't give that up. You want me to give this up? What are you talking about, Willis? I can't give that type of stuff up. When I first moved here about 20 years ago, Pastor Mark had come and asked me to, to, to work for him, and I was here for about a year, and I, I was about to go back to Scotland to go see my family, and, and uh, just before I went, there were two things happened. The first thing was, I felt this little urge inside of myself that I felt like God told me I should give away my car, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And then Pastor Mark said, hey, would you like to come back for another year and come and work for me? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds, in paradise, that sounds awesome because it just rains and snows in Scotland all the time. I'm coming back, absolutely. And then I suddenly realized I should give my car away and I started fighting God on this. Let me tell you about that car. That car was the coolest car in town. It was white with big fancy wheels on it. And it had, you know, the spoiler at the back where you can push it when it breaks down. And then of course I had the stripes on the side that make it goes faster, at least it looks like it goes faster. There's no way. Listen, I was not the cool kid in town. I was the ugly kid, but when I got in that car and put my elbow up on the window, I was the cool kid in town. Anyone with me? Right? As soon as I was in that place and I went back to Scotland, I was fighting it, and I'm like, I can't get my car away. I'm not getting my, why would I do it? I'm only gonna go to America for another year. I need a car when I get back, God. Hello, one day I went to my mom and dad's church and we were there during the service and then we came home. And when we came home, I was in the kitchen. My mom came in, she was a bit flustered and she said, put, put the kettle on, get some cookies and biscuits, put them on a plate, make some sandwiches right now. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And she goes, Sonia just killed herself. And I'm like, whoa, what? Sonia was a young lady that I had kind of grown up with who had grown up in a very 
horrible background of a family and she had been very violently sexually abused and she was so affected by this and, 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 and so my, my family had kind of taken her in over the years and, and, and during the day what she had done is taken her family and she had gotten married to this guy and had two, two children or three children, sorry, and she took them to church, dropped them off, went to the gas station, got a can of gas, filled it up with gasoline, went down by the river, poured it over herself and then burned herself alive and in that moment I knew that God said to me, that's who I want you to give your car to because she had burned the car, the family car. And I don't say that simply because I'm trying to say, look how much great things I have done. I say it to my shame because I was fighting God when he wanted to do something great, when he wanted to make me a part of a bigger story so I could have some significance in my life. Listen, God has called you to give up great things. Why is it so hard? Because we've worked so hard for it, but the other reason why I think it's so hard is because it makes us look good and feel good. Listen, this woman took some oil or, or perfume and poured it on, on, on his feet and she gave away everything she had that covers over what people think about us. If I can, if I can get enough riches or, 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 or things in my life that can cover over what people might think about me, maybe they'll start thinking that I'm successful or that I'm worthy to be known, that I'm worthy to be here on this earth. And let me tell you, what it does is it puts us in a position where we start controlling what people think of us. But if you want to go to an extraordinary place, you're gonna to have to extraordinarily give things up. John Maxwell says this, he said, you've got to give up to go up. You've got to give up to go up. It's the only way that it works. The last extraordinary step that I see that Mary Magdalene did was this. She took the extraordinary step to serve someone else. Now, here's the thing. How many of you like going to get your feet done, right? Anyone, like, what do you call these foot washing fancy places at those stores? What do you call them? Pedicure places? You can tell I don't go, or maybe I'm just pretending like I don't go. How many of you guys go? Anyone go? Anyone? Oh, yeah, okay. And so no one, no one is above themselves here. Okay, they love getting, are you just getting love to getting the fluff and buff on your feet and just like tickling going, this feels so good. This is awesome, right? Well, many of you love getting your feet done. I don't want anyone near my feet, right? But listen, that wasn't the type of thing that was going on there. What was going on was in those days, you know, if you, had, if you had, you know, dirty water in your house or something, you would throw it out the door and onto the street. In England, they used to call it guardy loo is what they would say. That basically means watch out, guys, and you maybe get splashed with a whole bunch of crap. In those days when you had donkeys or cows or sheep, they didn't have nice, didn't have nice paved roads with gutters that could wash off all the junk off the road. And then, you know, the, when the donkeys were walking down the road, they didn't go, hey, master, let me just, just take a second. I just need to go take a, relieve myself over here. No, what they did is they did it on the streets. So the streets were covered in crap. So you can imagine the people who maybe had sandals were lucky, but the most people didn't have sandals. They were walking through that junk. And so the job to clean people's feet in those days was always given to the lowest person in the house. And no one had cleaned anyone's feet because everybody was above themselves. No one was willing to take the extraordinary step to lower themselves, to serve someone else. And this woman did the thing of taking a position to lower herself. This seems such a humbling thing to do, but one thing that I've learned is if in order to go up, you often have to submit yourself to someone else. You have to give yourself to another master. 
See, in our culture, what we do is we use certain words like, you know, we find ourselves a teacher or a tutor or a mentor or maybe a counselor or a guide or someone who could advise me on the things that I should do. We don't allow ourselves to become someone else's servant. We don't say that person is my master and they're gonna tell me what to do and I have to submit to their ways. Listen, if you want to have a better business, you're gonna have to decide to submit yourself to someone who knows how to do business better than you do. Because if you knew how to do it, you'd be doing it already. If you wanna have a better marriage and you tried making your marriage work for the last 10 years and it just seems like you're a cat and she's a dog and it just seems to be a fight that goes on in your house, submit yourself to someone else that can step in and say, that's not working, son. That's not working in that way. You need to change your behavior and stop saying the stupid things that you're saying. You have to submit yourself to someone else. If you wanna go up, you gotta give up. You've got to give up to go up. How then did she get to the place where she was willing to trust this guy because it just seemed like she walked in the door and decided to wash his feet? I'll tell you why. In John, it tells us a different story in chapter eight. A different story when another woman was dragged before Jesus, but we believe, scholars believe, that this was the exact same woman. It says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Ah, was that her sin? They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. Now here, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, well, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Well, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, the fact is, this lady was able to stoop down and wash his feet because she realized that he had already stood up for her. He had already stepped in to defend her once before. Why wouldn't she want to serve him? And for any of those who have become Christ followers, who have discovered the cross, you've discovered this, that Christ has defended you once before. He said to all these other people, you have no right to, sin, to throw stones at her. You've got no right to condemn her for what she's done, regardless of what she's done, because you're in the exact same place as, he, as she is. But the fact is, there is one person who do, does have a right to condemn us, and that is God the Father, because he is good, and we have violated his ways. But even then, Jesus stood up way before you did anything and stood up in front of the Father and said, I'll take the punishment. I'll take it all. That's why we believe in the cross of Christ. That's why we believe that he stood in between us and stood up to defend us. Why wouldn't I want to submit myself to make him my master and serve him when he defended me from death already? Let me tell you, if he's done it for me, he can do it for you. You wanna have extraordinary results. If you want to get to a place where your life is free, where you're too, truly free inside, you have to give yourself to someone who knows what freedom is and can take you to that place. 
Recently, what I've done is I've, uh, I've asked the dance team to do a performance for us. If we can have the dance team come up on stage, and many of you know that we do these big performances usually um, at Easter or Christmas. And today, what I've done is I've asked them to take the, the story of Mary Magdalene and to reimagine it for us. Not to tell the exact same story that I just said, but what was her childhood like? And so you're gonna see Mary Magdalene as she's older with a book, and the book is, is where she is looking at the chapters of her life, and the, the first chapter is when she's a small girl and her father leaves her. Her father packs up a bag and he leaves. And it's gonna to go to the second chapter where you see she's a little bit older and she's remembering what it is to have her father, and she's remembering the clothes that he took. You're gonna see another chapter where she is remembering what it was, what his clothes were like, what his hat was like, what he smelled like, and you can only imagine the, 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 the trauma that she went through that probably put her into the place to make bad decisions when she was older. But later on, you're gonna see Mary Magdalene suddenly find Christ, and she has to allow Christ to rewrite her story. She has to allow him to go in and take her through all these things and be done with it so that she can rewrite her story. Let me tell you, this is good news, that through Christ we get to rewrite our lives. Let's stand as we're gonna end our service today. If you wanna say this prayer with me, I want you to feel free to say it. If it's not your thing, no problem. But I'm gonna lead us in a prayer of just coming back to the Father. And I want to encourage you to be a part of it, but again, if it's not your thing, don't worry about it. Let's close our eyes as we pray now. Father, we are so thankful we're able to get together again today and the freedom that we have and it's so much fun to be able to join together as your family. And we come to you in a prayer. And if you'd like to repeat after me, just say this. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you that your son has defended us. He has forgiven us for things that we cannot even forgive ourselves for. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us to know how to make Jesus our master so that we can follow someone who knows life, who has life and knows the way to you. Father, I just pray for every person who has prayed that prayer today. I pray you'd fill them up with your spirit. Renew something inside of them today like they have never felt or seen before. I pray, God, that they would know how to shake it off, as Taylor Swift said, that she'd be able to shake it off, Father. We would shake it off, Lord, so we can take hold of the life that you have called us to live for your glory. Oh, God, we pray for your goodness. And we ask this in your precious Son's name. And all God's people said, amen. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.